Just got back into town at the end of the weekend, and I want to tell you, I'm pumped to continue this teaching series. This is a series we literally have talked about for years. It's something we kept putting on the back burner. There's actually a participant guide that you can pick up at the Connect Center that goes with this. It's called The Divine Conspiracy. It was a book that was written by Dallas Willard. He was a devout Christian, the head of the philosophy department of USC at one point, but a leader in Christian theological evangelical thought and just a classic book that he wrote called The Divine Conspiracy that we're not going to get into the detail. It's a really heady book, but people, I love it. So if you love nerdy stuff, you'll love it too. But we have a very short participant guide that helps you walk through the questions that we'll be asking. And there's even videos that you can watch online available at mercyroad.cc. You can get the link to Faith Gateway where those videos are available. I'll tell you, it's a classic book, and the videos are like two decades old. So get out, and feel you're going to feel like you're putting a VHS tape in, and you're getting ready to watch it. But it's powerful stuff, and so I encourage you to be sure and utilize those resources uh, together. That said, we entitled the series, though, Some Good News, because don't we need some good news right now in our culture? And I'll, I'll tell you, like, for some of you that were complaining about 2019... Could you just keep your mouth shut this year, right? Like, in 2021, we don't want things to get worse. And at the same time, I believe, as I'm going to share today, some really good stuff, particularly in the last few weeks, are coming out of the very hard conversations our culture is having. And I believe that God's looking on us and encouraging us to continue with the truth as we speak into each other's lives. But just to share, like, when we say some good news... What are we talking about? Like, there's a lot of good news happening today. You may not realize this. Sports are starting back up. Yeah, come on. Some of you starting Little League, NBA, kicking back off. We're going to watch LeBron James and the Lakers win a title. Thank you to it. No? No? Well, the Pacers, I guess we're going to root for the Pacers always, of course. But... I just want to say that it's going to be interesting to see, but for some of you, like, I don't watch basketball. For This is mainly for Pastor Ken. I don't know who else would ever watch this, but NHL's even kicking back off. Three people, three people cheered for that, those online. Uh, but that's kicking back off as well. Some good news. When we say spiritually good news, what are we referring to? What, what's the good news of the gospel? You know, I, I want to share because I think sometimes we even as followers of Jesus who have been in church for decades get a misinterpretation of what Jesus said the good news was. What is the good news of the Bible? And good news just means this old English term you've heard before, gospel. Uh, that's where, we could throw that slide up, thank you. Yeah, that's literally uh, the old English term just means good news. The evangelion was the word in Greek. It was the good news that they would bring from the front lines of the victories that they were having back to home base. And the good news that Jesus came to bring was that if you surrender your life to him, you can receive eternal salvation, right? We talk about that a lot because of Christ crucified on the cross. We can be forgiven for our sin and wrongdoing and go to heaven when we die. It's also that God today can work and speak into cultural injustices that are happening around us? Yes, you can celebrate that, but I I would tell you, one of the things Dallas Willard says in that book as he's uh, dissecting what Jesus says in the New Testament is Jesus usually doesn't talk about receive me and you'll go to heaven when you die. It's actually not the main message that he shared. And he says that 
so often in our churches in American culture, we believe that the good news is we receive Jesus and we're going to heaven and now we just manage our individual sin so that hopefully we get better at this. I want to tell you there's nothing in and of itself wrong with that, but that's not the entire good news that Jesus came to bring. It's not just about our individual sin management. He calls it the gospel of sin management. That's not the only good news that the gospel shares. And on the other end, he says, and he puts these into categories of conservative and liberal, not politically. He's talking theologically. Don't confuse those two things. He says, on the other end, the, the gospel, uh, the good news on the, the liberal end theologically is that God is for social justice, which of course he is. And so the good news is to go and change the culture around us. And of course he desires that. But he said, that's just managing other people's sin, right? And addressing evils that are occurring. And what he tries to share that you see in the New Testament, what was Jesus' main message when he came to the planet? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Or the Gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, what in the world does that mean? Like, we don't really understand that. We think of a spatial place, a kingdom, but it's really talking about the reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign of God. That when Jesus came, his main message was the reign of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So as it is in heaven, so it could become on earth. You could get glimpses of it in heaven. It's talking about that the presence of God is with us today. That while the good news is we're going to heaven when we die and that we can uh, address social injustices and evils in our world, and we should stand for that as Christians as we shared the last couple of weeks, But the greater good news is no matter what you're facing today, whatever your hardships are, that God's presence is with you. Think about that for a second. Like how many of you walked in here when you were arguing with your kids in the van before you came in here and you checked them in and then you realized there was no coffee or donuts this week and then you got frustrated and angry on the inside and then you came in here and then, then you sat down the whole time you were thinking about the presence of the Lord is with me. Right? We're not thinking about that. Jesus had this way of living where the presence of the Lord, where the presence of God was with him wherever he was. And so what we're doing is we walk through the Sermon on the Mount together, beginning in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to discuss how you see the kingdom of God at hand, the presence of the Lord is with them, the way it transforms our conversations around us. It's actually why we fight for the social injustices that we're seeing today and we're giving voice to people of color because we believe that the presence of the Lord could use us when we have the humility to learn from each other. But before we get into all that, let's study the the good works of the Lord together in Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Are you ready to study God's Word together, church? Come on now. I love we finally get back together again to study scripture in this space and and we see you online and you're a part of this church if you're in a watch party. But man, there's something really cool as we gather together. I just want to read these words out loud and ask it to speak to us today. Verse one. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in the gospel of Matthew there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are downcast. Now, does that mean that people who are in poverty or people who are hurting or people who have, you know, kind of gotten lost hope, that they somehow are more blessed than people who have hope or who have money? 
No, we get that wrong sometimes in the way that we teach this. That, that's not what that means. He, he's setting up this description that people in that culture thought that if you're rich, you're blessed. That if you have hope, you're blessed. If you're happy, you're blessed. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Even the, the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is at hand for them. The blessing is the presence of the Lord being with them. That whether you're rich or whether you're poor, the, the same God made you in his image and his presence is with you if you receive you know, salvation in Christ. The kingdom of God is at hand for you and whatever it is you're facing. See, Dallas Willard says it like this in his book. If we go back to that quote, it says, history has brought us to the point where the Christian message is thought to be essentially concerned only with how to deal with sin, with wrongdoing or wrong being and its effects. Life, our actual existence, is not included in what is now presented as the heart of the Christian message, or it is included only marginally. The Jesus good news is that his presence is with you whatever you're facing in your daily life. That when you have those hard conversations that you've been having, the presence of the Lord could be with you there. When you're out speaking out about the injustices we're, we're seeing, the more important thing as a follower of Jesus, you're not just making political statements. The presence of the Lord is with you. When you're at your, your workplace and you're living differently with integrity and not cheating and backstabbing, that the presence of the Lord is with you and that people begin to experience that. I want to break that down and demonstrate that to you today. Verse 4, though. It goes on, I'm going to read this quickly. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. All these people are blessed, whether things are going well or they're not going well. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to break down the word righteousness. For they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The peacemakers in our culture are blessed... Because they will be called children of God. But then, do you know what it says right after that? Kind of the other side of the coin. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pause there for a second. I want to break down the word righteousness. I don't know if you know this. The New Testament wasn't written in English. So the word isn't righteousness there. We get that confused. I heard some people say that the word racism isn't in the Bible. And so why are we talking about it? Uh, the Bible wasn't written in English. That's why it's not in the Bible, okay? The, the word ethnos is where we get the word ethnicity from. It's listed 151 times in the New Testament. So it's okay to talk about these things. The point being in this passage, when it says righteousness, it's the word dikaiosin, which means righteousness, what is right, or literally justice. So the, the verse before talked about blessed are the peacemakers, and then right after this is blessed are the, those who fight for righteousness or justice, and can you really have peace without justice? And so I, I'm trying to learn, okay? I want to tell you, if you're new to our church, I'm a human being. Uh, I'm not trying to get people to tell them how to vote or what to do with their lives or how to live politically. My job as a communicator and preacher of the gospel is to teach scripture and what I believe it says. And I believe that in, impacts dramatically the way we do those other things. But I want to share with you today that we should fight for righteousness and justice. It's a part of the kingdom of heaven. It just said that right there in verse 10. Blessed, verse 11, are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're like, okay, that was a lot of verses. Explain this to me. Here's what it means. 
Like, whatever you're going through today, whether it's good or bad in your life, as you're fighting for racial uh, justice, as you're debating with people about political issues going on, a follower of Jesus must first and foremost allow the presence of God to supersede on behalf of them in each of those interactions. It changes the way that we interact with one another. Not the truth, not what we speak, but the way that we do it. And see, here's what I want to tell you, just if I could pause for just a second. Because I know we're all real busy in our lives and there's a lot going on. There's a lot of tension. I want to lay the groundwork as I discuss this. One, racial injustice is something we must speak about. Two, it's not the only issue that the gospel talks about. And there's a greater thing for us to fight for today. And, and I believe it's spiritual truth. And that's actually what then causes us as followers of Jesus to fight for those, those things. And so I want to tell you, when we get to how to apply some of this, you can always be a part of our church and disagree with what I believe. In fact, I think as Christians, we have to lead the way for how to have conversations where we disagree, but we draw nearer to each other and to God in the process. And as I'm talking to people that I believe are not listening to people of color, not a single one of those conversations has ended in a way where we are still mad at each other. And I want to get to that, okay? Stay with me for just a second. I didn't say that at the last service, so forgive me if I'm overspeaking, but I want to kind of lay the, the groundwork that I think there's a lot at stake. I believe revival in the American church is breaking out right now. And I believe if we focus on the presence of God that is with us and how he taught us how to live, it's going to bring repentance in our culture. And I want to share what it's been doing in my life. And I get as a white pastor, I got to earn some right to even speak about some of these things, okay? And I just want to share what the Lord has been teaching me this last few weeks. I haven't had a chance to do this. See, Dallas Willard says it this way, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is a call for us to reconsider how we've been approaching our life. In light of the fact that we now know in the presence of Jesus we have the option of living within the surrounding moments of God's eternal purposes of taking our life into his. That you could actually be used by God during a moment in our human history that we're all walking through together. 2020 has been a doozy. But what an opportunity for spiritual revival. And I believe that we are seeing it today. Jesus, later on in Matthew chapter 6, in the same Sermon on the Mount, he says this in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, his justice, and all these things will be given to you as well. In today's culture, how do you seek his kingdom first? That's what I want to talk about, and it's a much broader conversation that I want to dive into. Will you pray with me? God, I know that as Pastor Greg is, Greg is putting this racial reconciliation plan together and we're going to be having a lot of things that you won't see on the weekends, God, of these seminars to educate our leadership and our staff on issues of race as we uh, bring in outside communicators and we uh, begin to invest in how to make an impact in this area of our world to transform even our church in suburbia. God, I pray first and foremost that the presence that was there with Jesus when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, that we, each of us, myself included, would experience your presence here this morning. And for those attending online, that they would experience your love. 
and that there are many of us here today that may need to just admit some things in our life right now aren't of you, and we need to change that, God, and that there are some people today that have given to, into alcohol or to drugs or to sex or to violence or to other things to heal things in our life or to escape the world around us rather than turning to you, the one thing that could heal and transform. Thank you, God, that all these people came out to this space and are attending this, but they don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from you. And so make, take my words away. Replace them with yours, God. We love you. We surrender this time to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, do we have any pilots in the room? Any airplane pilots? David, no? No pilots. Okay. So I just want to tell you that I'm not a pilot either, but uh, there is a pilot that is very famous in the part of the world I came from. I used to work at this camp in Missouri called Canica Christian Sports Camp. And they would tell the story of this pilot named Johnny Farrier. Anybody ever heard of Johnny Farrier? No. This happened in right, uh, right outside of Dayton, Ohio, at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in the late 1950s. Johnny Farrier was a pilot in the Korean War. And when he came back, he was a part of an air show that happened at Wright-Pat. And his plane had mechanical problems and began to spiral down towards the city of Fairborn, uh, Ohio. And his uh, commanding officer is yelling at him over the PA to, uh, you know, abandon and eject from the plane. But he knows if he ejects from the plane, there's such, so many homes in the neighborhood that he, wasn't, he would most likely kill a number of families in the neighborhood. And so rather than ejecting, he kept trying to recover it. And as he got closer to the ground, he realized he couldn't. And then rather than ejecting, he found a, a little tiny place between four homes all surrounding the only spot he could have landed and not hit anyone. And he died instantly in the crash. And see, Johnny had been to the same sports camp in the 1940s or 50s. It existed all the way back then. And back then there was a, a, a guy named Coach Bill Lance. And he talked about the, the principles of Jesus, that the number one things he told us to do of the Ten Commandments, do you remember the two most important? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. And can you really love God if you don't love your neighbor? And so they would teach this, and they would print out these little business cards that said, I'm third, God first, others second, I'm third. And Johnny would carry this in his wallet wherever he went. His wife found the wallet and found the I'm third card. And she wrote this coach, Bill Lance, and said, I want you to know Johnny, to his death, had this card in his wallet. And he attempted even to the point of crashing his plane to save these families, to put God first, other second, and I'm third. And she said, I haven't done that in my life as well as he has. I'm going to start trying this. I'm going to carry this card with me wherever I go. See, when we talk about seeking first the kingdom of God, ushering in God's presence in the world, how do you actually do that? Well, Jesus told us, put God first, others second, and ourselves third. By abiding by and living by those principles, you will begin to see the kingdom ushered in around you because you're giving opportunities for God to use your life. God first, others second, I'm third. But how do you know if you're really doing that? How do you know that you're seeking God's kingdom first? That's what I want to show you through a little bit more of the Gospel of Matthew and even into the Gospel of John, the way that Jesus demonstrated how to seek first his kingdom. If you're taking notes, here's how you know you're seeking God's kingdom first. Number one, 
Stay up with me if we can. How, how, how you know you are seeking God's kingdom first. Number one, you light up a room. You light up a room. Some of you are like, I always light up a room. I walk in that door. Like, I'm not talking about what you're wearing. I'm not talking about whether you have a big personality and draw a lot of attention. I'm talking about the presence of the Lord lighting up the room. Look what uh, Jesus said here. The verses right after those first 12 verses in Matthew that we read, verse 13, he said, you are the salt of the earth. But the salt loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, I've done this many times. I'm not going to do it right now. But if we turned all the lights off and I turned the light on, you wouldn't see it very well online. But even the smallest light could really light up this room. And in a dark, chaotic world, it's saying when you usher in the kingdom of heaven at hand, you put God for his other second, his presence can be seen in you, and you walk into any space and you have hard, truth-filled conversations, they're going to go, something's different about this person. The presence of the Lord lights up a dark room, right? And in a dark world, we need more of that. But then the analogy of the salt kind of gets lost on us in 21st century culture sometimes. I always have people talk about, what in the world does that mean? Well, I brought this with me today. I don't know if the camera can get back over here with me right now, but I have a glass of water up here. It's just normal drinking water, and I got a little bit of salt. Now, if I take the salt, and you take it, and you dump some here in the water, and you just put a little bit in there, let's make sure we got enough, and then I just stir it up a little bit. What's going to happen to this water? You're like, this is a dumb illustration. I get what you, no, you don't. Who wants to drink this water right now? Do you really? I'm not going to give it to you because you probably vomit right here and I don't want to deal with that. But this is going to take super, taste super salty, right? Salt doesn't have to try to be salty. It just does it naturally. If you tasted this water, it would taste completely differently. Why is it that so many Christians in our culture today, that they look, behave, and act just like everyone else, that they never seem to be any different than the way that people who aren't Christian are? See, when you have Christ in your life, the presence of the Lord is with you. Salt can't help but be salty. It's going to make the water salty around it. A light can't go into a, a room with no light and not light it up. It's impossible. The most important thing as we're addressing issues of injustice in our culture, and I know today we're going to continue to talk about issues of racial injustice, but we all know, as I've talked to some of my black friends, this goes much beyond just uh, black racial issues. There are other ethnicities that are struggling to be heard and their, their hearts to be felt. There are gender biases and things going on in our world. And I want to stop there for a second because I don't want to get into a political discussion about some of this stuff. But what I want to tell you today, and I hope you don't get mad at me for kind of speaking my heart, is that for each of us, wherever we're at, if the presence of the Lord is with us, the way we have those conversations, you're going to see God at work. Salt can't help but be salty. That's what I loved about James and Shalanda last weekend. You guys said some really hard stuff that took a lot of courage to be up here and share. But as a follower of Jesus, it just spoke to me about what the experiences of somebody who's not like me are having to endure and go through. 
but was done in a way where I just felt the Lord all over everything that you guys shared last week. You can't help but light up a room. See, I think that spiritually speaking, it's been a really hard year, but this could be the greatest year in the American church in centuries. I believe that spiritually speaking, revival can break out as we get rid of our pride and we take humility and we do this beautiful thing of repenting in our culture. Revival can break out. I just want to give you an example. You know, with COVID-19, how many of you want to go through that all over again? Can I just share with I don't either. But in a like two-week period, we had, I never got the final numbers, it was just shy of 30 people get baptized in their homes. Isn't that cool? In fact, Amanda Bobley, that's doing an awesome job back there, I've got a picture uh, of her getting baptized right there. And it's just the cool stuff. Revival can break out when things are good. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are spiritually desperate. And so I just encourage you today, revival can break out, but it's going to take humility. Let me give you another place in the Gospels where Jesus talked about the kingdom of God. The first place is Mark chapter 1, verse 15. One of my favorite verses, it says, the time has come, the kairos, like the God-appointed moment. The, the, The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God or of heaven has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The good news that God can be with us both eternally and here and now and change the evil around us as his presence intercedes and overflows from our life into the culture around us. That good news, it says the way that you lead that to revival is what? To repent. Can I just ask you, can we be real? I love everybody in our church. Everybody, even who disagrees with me on stuff, okay? I love you, and I know you love me too, okay? We got to be better as Christians at leading the way in our culture of having hard conversations and being okay with it. And I put out an email a couple of weeks ago that said I repented because I didn't feel like we did a good enough job of looking at not just what we preach on the weekends, but our entire church, the way we're equipping people for racial reconciliation conversations, And I felt like I had talked about for a long time wanting to be a multicultural, multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. And while we have given uh, leadership to a number of people of different ethnicities or genders, I want to tell you that I felt like we had not done a good job of talking about how to actually equip and train our people. So I said I I repented. I didn't ask anybody else to repent of that. I repented of that because I was convicted by the Lord about it. When did repenting become a sign of weakness? I don't, I don't get that. Like, it was one of the primary ways we drew near to God. You want to usher in the kingdom, see revival today, spiritual good news received by other people? I believe as broken, sinful people, I'm not Jesus. I, I believe that the way we do that is to repent and believe the good news. And look, we can debate some things, but I just want to encourage you. We could see spiritual revival today in our culture if we led the way for people receiving good news by getting rid of our pride, C.S. Lewis says, is the greatest inhibitor to God's work in our lives. Repent and believe that good news. And while that includes racial injustice, repentance is leading people to Christ well beyond that. Why would we ever resist it? We should embrace it. It's a beautiful thing. I do it every day. Every day. I mess up, and I want to draw nearer to the Lord. 
So if you're taking notes, how you know God's kingdom is, you're putting, seeking God's kingdom first. One, you, the presence of the Lord lights up the room within you. Number two, you love your enemies. You love your enemies. Because that's hard, isn't it? Now, look, I'm not talking about you love people who believe differently about the issues in our culture. That's one thing. I talk about straight up enemies. Jesus said this later in Matthew 5. I'm going to go quickly through it. You heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Woo. That's hard, isn't it? In fact, it goes on and says that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Both the righteous and the unrighteous he gives rain to, it says. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors, they weren't thought of fondly in that culture, doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So I really felt convicted by this, and I knew I was preaching this today. And then last night at 7.58 p.m., you're like, um, that's kind of late to go out to eat. Why were you going out to eat at Subway at 7.58 p.m.? But I walked into the Subway, and I went up there to order. My oldest son and my daughter were with me. And I get up there, and um, the great thing about Subway to me is you get all this, you can kind of make your sandwich your own way. Anybody like that? And you just load up all those veggies, man. You just see all those things. Just put, yeah, put some more on, a little more of that, a little more of this, and just you load that thing up. Can't even close the sandwich afterwards. And uh, anybody ever been into a subway where the subway person's a little stingy? What's going on with that? I've only ever had that happen in my presence two times. Once to my friend years ago, but that was his problem, right? But this, now it happened to me last night. And he was a little stingy, just kind of like put a little couple strings of things and a little bit of this. And I'm like kind of staring at it going, what's going on? And I was frustrated. But I thought it's just a sandwich, not a big deal. I didn't say anything. I just went through, I got it, and my son got his sandwich. Then my daughter, she ordered a ham sandwich. All she had was ham, bread, lettuce, and pickles. I don't know why she likes pickles a lot, probably because I think there's sugar involved there. But she, she says, like, I want a lot of pickles, Dad. So I noticed how he was being with all the veggies. So I thought, surely he's going to get it. It's just ham, lettuce, and pickles. Like, it's not a lot to ask. So I was like, load it up with lots of pickles. I mean, like a lot, like pour a bunch of pickles on there. She loves pickles. She's a cute seven-year-old, by the way. Why wouldn't you do that? Four pickles. And my wife tells me I'm very good at hiding my emotions. I could not do that in the presence of a subway guy. I just stared at the pickle man going, what in the world are you doing? Praise the Lord. In that moment, I started thinking about, I'm going to preach tomorrow about how the presence of the Lord is with you wherever you go. And here I am with Subway guy and the stingy pickles. That's not happening today. (laughs) But I just stared at him like with big eyes. I couldn't hide it. But then I just kept my mouth shut. And I'm like, presence of the Lord is here with me today with the pickle guy. And I took the sandwich. We paid for them. No tip. Definitely no tip. Took the sandwiches. We went and sat down. And we eat them. And then I'm sitting there, and I'm frustrated. You know, you stew afterwards. It gets worse. So then I'm just sitting there stewing, and then I began to realize, I never thought about what's going on in this guy's life today. God first, others second, I'm third, except for when the pickles aren't enough. So I sat there, and I began to just think about it. And I wasn't actively closing my eyes and praying, but just thinking about, okay, what's the Lord doing here? And 
as I was sitting there, I looked up at the clock, and I knew, I told you it was 7.58 p.m. I knew that, because when I looked at the clock, I realized that the sign said they close at 8 p.m. And, and this guy is ready to go home. And he's frustrated. He's had a hard day, probably. Listen to all these people about their dumb vegetables. And so right there, I was like, oh, man. I didn't go back up and apologize to him because I hadn't, you know, I had held my tongue and all of that sort of thing. But man, it changed my perspective. And as I was going out, I just told those guys, thank you so much. Have a great day. And we left. And then I complained about it to my wife because I'm a sinful person. But I just want to tell you the presence of the Lord can be with you and even to love your enemies and pray for those who, who persecute you. And I want to tell you, I'm not telling that to, to people of color. I don't feel like that's my position, okay? But I think in general, in our culture, and for even uh, those who identify with the white community, that you feel like uh, your voice isn't being heard. Well, I just want to tell you, there's a lot we could debate about that, and I don't want to get into it, but I want to encourage you to, to love everybody right where they're at. I think we can all agree that every human being is created in the image of God. Would you agree with that? Every ethnicity, every culture, every lang language is spoken, every human being is created in the image of God. God loves that person. And that our job as followers of Jesus should be to love each of the people in our lives. But sometimes what I feel like we do is we love them in the way we act towards them, but the presence of the Lord is not with us as we're doing it. The way that we do that matters. So here's, can I be frank with you? And don't get mad at me, okay? I just want to be honest about some of the things that we're facing, and I want to use that as a platform to kind of take us where I think we should go through this passage. That I've been using phrases in my conversations of uh, phrases like systemic racism. I, I believe in that. I, I don't really debate that. But I get, I'm getting into then some of the ways the culture around is sociological things and not just interpreting scripture. And so as I've realized there are some people in our church, not a lot, but some people in our church who disagree with that phrase and disagree that that, that is going on. And you have shared a lot of statistics and a lot of things uh, that you have read or seen or videos that we watch. And, and I want to tell you, we can disagree about some of those things. And I had conversations with a number of people this week that have disagreed about some of the things that, that we have said. And I want to say I'm okay with that. But what I want to share with you is that it's okay to disagree sometimes, but the ways that we have those conversations matter. So I talked to one person for almost two hours this week about this issue, and he gave his statistics, and I gave my statistics, and I told him why I, I believed that he was wrong, and he shared with me why he believed I was wrong. And then we walked through this, and then I said something that I think really helped him to understand where I was coming from, from a biblical theological perspective. And that's this. So where in the Bible do we see some of these issues rise up? I told you ethnos is used 151 times in the New Testament. These cultural differences according to nationality and ethnicity. It's literally where we get the word ethnicity from. You see it a number of times. You see it with the woman that was a Canaanite woman who couldn't stop bleeding. And by the way, to that particular woman, not just like subverted racism was okay, overt racism in that culture was okay. He could call her names and it would have been socially acceptable in that time. 
And instead, he chooses to spend time with her, listen to her, respond out of love and empathy, and heal her of the bleeding she had had for most of her life. The Zacchaeus, the tax collector, was somebody that no one liked. No one made time from. You didn't sit and eat with him. Jesus sat down and ate with him, listened to him and his friends. And there were certainly reasons not to with Zacchaeus. That's even different than our culture because we're just talking about ethnic issues a lot of times today. There were issues with tax collectors in their society. But then the woman at the well, she was a Samaritan woman. That was a people that the Jewish people didn't listen to. And you didn't hang out with them and definitely not a woman. And he publicly does it. And he listens to her. And he's there for her. And he sat and he listened and led with empathy. So how you know you're seeking God's kingdom first? One, you light up a room. Two, you love your enemies. And three, you lead with empathy. You lead with empathy. And so my question to my friend was, you know, when someone in that culture was hurting and broken and frustrated and upset, when Jesus encountered that person, he didn't quote a bunch of statistics to tell them why their point of view was wrong. That's, that's a conversation maybe we can have in a political world, right? In a realm, that uh, a public discussion that needs to be had. But from a, a theological, biblical perspective, if you want to follow the life of Jesus the way he did when people were hurting, he led with empathy and feeling, not with statistics explaining why their feelings weren't valid. We all tracking? This is really important for the racial conversation, absolutely. But this is really important for following Jesus. Like if we don't lead with empathy with us, God first, others second, ourselves third, how will the presence of the Lord, the kingdom of God at hand, be seen by people in our culture? I told him otherwise, we're essentially telling people of color, the good news, the presence of the Lord, really isn't for you because of all of these statistics. And I know that may not be your heart, but that's the way it comes across. And I just want to encourage you to follow the example that Jesus says. So you're like, okay, well, show it to me. John chapter four, the woman at the well, the good Samaritan, or the Samaritan woman, excuse me, don't get my stories confused. John chapter four, verse seven says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, I am a Samaritan. We can't do this. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God who is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And he uses the analogy of living water to talk about the kingdom of God at hand, the presence of the Lord, this thing that brings you life today as Dallas Willard talks about how to live today to fully experience the abundant life that is in Jesus Christ. If you actually experience that, no matter what hard conversation you're having as you're fighting for issues of injustice, no matter what you're going on around, the presence of the Lord is with you to give you the words, the examples, the phrases, how to interact and how to live. And that as we have those hard political debates and conversations, it, it teaches us how to do it in a way that when people leave, they go, man, something different about that person. The presence of the Lord lights it up. They even love their enemies and they lead with empathy and humility. Do you know what happens? Look, skip down to verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again from the well. 
But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Because he leads with empathy. By the way, we know from later in the passage, he knew that she had had five husbands and she was living with a guy that wasn't her husband. But he led with empathy. And it transformed that life. Now, I'm not in a place uh, uh, to talk to how black people could lead with empathy today. I think we could all agree I'm not the person to say that. I, I can talk to people that have had my cultural background and say that you need to lead with empathy today when it comes to the ways that you're having conversations. And in particular, as many people have joined in the peaceful protests that are occurring around us, that I, I want to tell you that fighting for our brother and sister, our neighbor, is a good thing, right? By the way, I didn't say this at the last service, we have a number of police officers in our church and have done amazing things in the life of our church. And I want to tell you, nowhere, anywhere in the world, when we say things that are pro-people uh, of color in our culture, that somehow for, for those who are actually fighting for peace and justice from the police force, that somehow we're speaking negatively against those people. Because I think that some of us, you know what I did? I talked to a lot of people of color in my sphere of influence this last few weeks and just tried to learn. I also called and talked to one of my friends that has been a state police officer for the last 17 years or so and just was like, I didn't want to debate with him. I just wanted to hear. Hear what it was like. Learning from one another, leading with empathy, I believe, is what gives us a, a right understanding of what's going on, of how to interact in a way that we usher in the presence of the Lord that brings about racial reconciliations, uh, comes over gender barriers, but even in a grander scale, intersects the good news of Jesus Christ into a world that desperately needs it, that it lights up the room, it brings salt that can never lose its saltiness, that when the presence of the Lord is with you, people see it, and they recognize it, and they receive it. And even if your statistics are right, or if they're wrong, if you lead with empathy, first, you give opportunity for the good news of Jesus Christ to intercede into our culture. And that's what our world, it, you're saying it needs unity and all this stuff? Like, hear from your neighbor first. Lead with empathy for them. I, I know it's our first week back, and we're talking about good news today. So if you hear hearing I'm over-preaching, I apologize if it's not coming across well. I will not apologize for the truth of what I am saying. That the way that Jesus led his life was God first, others second, ourselves third, to intersect and usher in the kingdom of God at hand. Do you know what happens when you do that? Let's look at the woman in the well. He led with empathy. You know what happened? Verse 39 to 42. Not only does she have her life changed, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town, these godless people, believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritan came to him, they urged him to stay with him, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Many more became believers. As we stand up for our neighbors today, and we allow the presence of the Lord to intercede for us, many more will become believers as those of us in all areas, including areas of race, repent of things, not that you need to do, but that I need to do, 
Because I need to repent of what I know is not right with the Lord, and you need to repent of what you know in your life is not right with the Lord. When you do that, when you have the strength, the dignity to stand up and repent for something in your life, it's then that the good news of Jesus and his presence intercedes for you, and I guarantee it won't just change your life, it'll change your family's life, your kid's life, your neighbors, your coworkers. You will see people come to Christ. You will see their lives transformed, and revival breaks out during times just like this. And it will happen. If we allow him to intercede for us, verse, uh, Matthew 6, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Mark 1, 15, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It brought a guy named Johnny Farrier to the point that he's guiding that plane, trying in his last breath to literally give up his life and wreck it into a little plot of ground so that these four homes, that no one would be injured. Where did he learn that from? Jesus, he goes to the cross and is crucified and raises on the third day so that he could set the example of what, how to put God first, others second, and even his own life third. That he literally laid down his life, he said, for us as a ransom for many. And so I, I feel like I just preached like an 80-minute sermon. But I just want to encourage you. I believe that this stuff is important. Guys, we could lead the way today. Some of you are in here and you have been turning to anger and alcohol and drugs and escaping to video games and Netflix and all kinds of stuff over the last four months because you just want to avoid everything going around. And you've got this brokenness inside of you right now. And the Bible tells us to repent and believe the good news that the kingdom of God is at hand. His presence is for you today and it will change your eternity and it will change your life now. And you will become somebody that people go, you're a culture changer. You're a you're a difference maker. You're, not, you're speaking out for people of color today, but you're also uh, loving people well and having good arguments with each other in a way that leads to eternal salvation. And I just want to say, guys, that's what the good news of Jesus is about. That's some really good news in our culture today. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to it today. We pray with me. God, thank you so much. Man, I, I never thought that today we would have this many people filling all of the socially distant chairs we, we set out. And, and so I just pray right now, Jesus, that we've all come together here to hear from you. And if anything I said was frustrating and it wasn't of you, God, I pray that we would forget it the moment we walk out of these doors. But if anything was for you, I pray from you, it would transform our way of thinking. Transform our minds this morning to become more like you. We point to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the most intelligent human being we could ever follow. We pray that we would learn your ways. God first, others second, and ourselves third. And so if you would like to surrender an aspect of your life to repent and believe the good news, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. Pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I'm not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I repent of anything in my life that is not of you. I believe and receive your good news, that your presence is with me, I can have eternal salvation and I now live on a mission to make this world more like you desire us to be. I surrender everything in my life to you, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.